0: You're listening to Ithaca Now, WICB's weekly news program focused on stories in the Ithaca community. I'm your host, Madri Said, and thanks for joining us. On tonight's show, we'll be hearing some of the best stories produced by WICB news correspondents this semester. We will look into understaffing concerns in the Ithaca community, hear about evictions during the pandemic, and hear from IC Prism about their thoughts on Ithaca College being named a top college for LGBTQ plus people by Campus Pride.
1: Cindy Sloan calls understaffing in the Tompkins County labor market a cycle.
2: Folks will leave and go find something where they can get those 40 hours. And then that leads to a shortage of staff, which then leads to a, you know, a different kind of experience. It's, it's just a very cyclical thing.
1: Sloan is a workforce development specialist for Tompkins Workforce New York. She says that when employers can't staff their businesses, It's challenging to bring in enough customers to support full time hours for workers. This, in turn, reproduces the local understaffing trend.
3: It doesn't matter whether it's frontline jobs all the way through highly technical, high level management positions that um, employers are struggling to fill the open positions that they have available.
1: That's Jackie Moliasso. She manages Tompkins Workforce New York's Career Center and directs its Office of Employment and Training.
3: We definitely are hearing from employers who are in service industries, hospitality and tourism, retail, that they are particularly struggling, and, and that is often because they need those frontline workers in order to fill shifts, in order to keep businesses like restaurants and hotels
2: um, and retail uh, shops open. In the beginning, it was a, there was a larger demand for um, applicants who would work from home.
1: Sloan says she has seen an evolving relationship between employers and job seekers regarding remote work amid the COVID-19 pandemic.
2: That's not where the demand is right now. Um, The demand is there from job seekers, but not from businesses, right? Those positions are filled very quickly.
1: Tompkins Workforce New York works to assist employers with finding qualified candidates for their open positions. However, Sloan goes on to say,
2: The tables are turned a little bit, like the job interview used to be, almost completely about the employer deciding who they will hire. And it's really turned into this kind of 50-50 deal where the employee is deciding, you know, the job seekers deciding whether or not they're going to accept an offer.
1: Mulyaso adds that negotiations have swung in the direction of job seekers because they now have more power to choose the company culture in which they work.
3: What we have seen is definitely increases in pay in order to bring people in the door, but we're also seeing employers um, make other offerings, things like offering um, education reimbursements, and you know other incentives to help bring people in the door. They're beefing up their benefits packages.
1: She says that access to transportation, childcare assistance, and flexible hours are among the perks that job seekers are increasingly demanding. There also has been a push from employees for more inclusive organizations that give workers decision making power.
3: We're definitely seeing um, major shifts and and I think in the big scheme of things, um, very positive shifts because these things are going to help address things like equity and diversity um, and justice in the workplace.
1: Molia So notes that the timeline for making these changes has been uneven.
3: There are some employers who are really tuned into these necessary changes in culture who are diving in and in and, and hearing and listening and really working together with job seekers. And I think there are other employers who have felt um, really the the squeeze of the impacts financially of the pandemic, and it may feel harder to make those adjustments.
1: Sloan says that to return to pre pandemic staffing levels.
2: The sooner that both um, job seekers and employers can decide that meeting in the middle is the best way to go, you know, that that there's got to be some give on both sides. As soon as that agreement can happen, the sooner the ability to fill one's staff backup will increase.
4: Muyeso explains that staffing shortages at individual businesses have a cumulative impact on a local labor landscape over time.
3: If there's understaffing, that doesn't just affect their ability to um, they'll put put people in shifts It in turn affects things like the rest of the staff's morale and the, the pressure on other staff members to cover additional shifts or to have be under more stress just in the workplace.
4: The pandemic and subsequent economic downturn have had financial ramifications for consumers. Some are figuring out how to get by with less disposable income in their households and making fewer purchases.
3: You may not be able to buy the products that you typically would buy because somewhere, you know, um, maybe in another country or maybe here, the, 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 the parts that go into making the whole um, are not being manufactured, are not being created, or not, you know, they don't have people to put these things together in turn to, you know, keep, keep the wheels turning.
4: In spite of this, employers are coming together to talk about their collective challenges and determine solutions. Sloan notes that her agency is developing a training series with partners like Cornell Cooperative Extension, the Ultimate Reentry Opportunity Initiative, and other employers in the community.
2: I just have to give kudos to our local businesses, uh, hotels and restaurants. Even even when they are short-staffed, they go above and beyond, right? We see managers and higher, higher level employees um, pitching in and doing every level of job to make sure that customer needs are met.
4: We asked Tompkins Workforce New York about state and federal resources for their local employment services. We also called the agency's plan to use Department of Labor funding for increase on the job training a win-win for all.
3: It's putting in a, a job seeker into a, a paid long-term position. They're hired by the employer and in turn it offers the employer some some money to help pay with that pay that you know, for that training period, but it gives them a qualified candidate for their position.
4: Tompkins Workforce also intends to continue offering its virtual and in-person educational workshops and one-on-one resume, cover letter, and interview help to those looking to reenter the workforce. Looking at 2022, Muyeso says,
3: I think about employers and management and leadership in businesses and organizations. Understanding what the needs are of their employees, understanding what the needs are of new job seekers who maybe in the past they didn't consider employable. And now they're stretching kind of the perspective about who is employable.
4: Sloan and Meyeso agree that going forward, local employment growth and job retention will be more dependent upon workers feeling respected and recognized by employers beyond the paycheck.
3: My sense is that the more that we as a community invest in that, um, the greater success we'll find in, you know, job seekers having what they need, employers having what they need and being able to fill the positions that they have.
1: For WICB News, I'm Lauren Leone. And I'm Jordan Broking. Up
0: next, correspondent Christian maitrey talks about eviction concerns during the pandemic.
5: Are happening during a public health crisis, and a deadly one too, COVID-19. The word eviction evokes a lot of different things for different people, but for those who are housing insecure, it's a very scary, emotional, and real experience. But what does eviction really mean besides the removal of someone from their home?
6: I think that evicting individuals during a pandemic is a bad idea. I mean, it's just from the public health perspective. It's a very bad idea to have people, you know, homeless.
5: If you've been evicted this year or last year, it means you've been risking you and maybe your family's health. That was...
6: Deborah Dietrich, executive director at OAR of Tompkins County. So we've been housing folks there for about three and a half years now. We And then helping them find more permanent solutions um, from Endeavor House. Because Endeavor House is really a place for them to just get settle, get back on the path to being in the community, find employment, and then we help them look for more permanent housing.
5: Despite a speedy vaccine rollout in the county, people are still susceptible to contracting COVID via Delta variant breakthrough cases. And when someone becomes homeless, forcing them to replace their private living situation with, say, a homeless shelter, their chances of getting COVID go up. Fortunately for the housing insecure, In March of 2020, the CDC was able to start imposing eviction moratoriums, or temporary bans on evictions, in the wake of the pandemic, via an arguably completely unrelated and decades-old statute surrounding pesticide fumigation. But on August 26th, the Supreme Court blocked the eviction moratorium, with a 6-3 unsigned vote, before it was reinstated two weeks later and extended to January. This decision allowed landlords to evict people from their homes in that two-week period. But luckily, in the local area, residents have been relatively safe from evictions.
6: was inactive for a short period of time. we didn't see a flurry of evictions for our clients, but part of that is that hey, uh, they may have just moved into this emergency shelter grant housing, which has is, uh, the majority is paid for by the grant
5: so so you're saying that's mainly because of this shelter program that they were in.
6: I think it's, it's a couple different f- factors. One is that it was pretty short. Many of our clients are funded through government programs, their housing, through a majority of the um, rent is paid through government programs. Section eight, this emergency shelter grant. And so therefore they may not have fallen in arrears the way the low income folks who are, who are working.
5: People getting evicted during the pandemic isn't breaking news. You've likely heard about it on TV or online. But there's a side to this story that I've noticed hasn't been getting told. I know that on the other side, the argument is that they need to evict people because of the amount of debt that they're in. What do you, like, what do you think about that? I I just wanted to get a grasp.
6: I think that I, I don't really like the idea. Um, quite honestly. On the other hand, I can understand particularly small landlords um, struggling to pay their mortgages.
5: Yeah, I think that's an important differentiation to to make because you're right, some of them just really rely on this one or two properties that they have. Like, that's their small business, you know?
6: Exactly. Or they live in the house and rent out a, an apartment in the house so that the mortgage is um, affordable for them. And I think those people are hurting right now. Um, on the other hand, landlords with huge holdings, many of which um, get sizable tax breaks um, from the, you know, local – Economic Development Board, um, they should have a reserve to weather
5: it. Tenants aren't the only ones affected by all of this. Landlords with only one or two rentals rely on their properties being rented out to make ends meet. The local housing crisis touches many different people from different walks of life, so it's important to remember that there are resources out there for those in need.
6: If uh, they've been formerly incarcerated or court-involved, the Human Service Coalition locally um, has a two one one line, and that hotline can help refer them to other um, resources. And I know that the Human Service Coalition also has a housing navigator now. So there are places folks can go if they're um, struggling in finding housing.
0: WICB correspondent Michael Memis talked to one pollster in New York's Don Levy to find out what polls can really reveal.
7: Polls are everywhere, but how are they done, and what can they say about the future? One pollster in New York is Siena College Research Institute, who does polls in the state as well as other states in the region. I talked to Don Levy, the director of the institute, to learn more about the method behind this, as well as what it reveals about some key New York State figures. How do you ensure you still are getting the most representative results possible in these polls?
8: We now interview people via multiple methods, not just phone, but uh, via various web techniques, and we always are comparing our sample, the group of people that respond to us, to a representative sample of that geography. So we're basing how different is our sample from that which the census has uh, has arrived at. In, in our field, uh, we typically, when we are completed with a poll, we will statistically adjust to a process called iterative weighting to adjust the sample that we got to make it look like the national or the regional or the, the state sample that we're trying to generalize to. Uh, and we do that by adjusting the, uh, the weight of each respondent's answer to make their particular demographic representative of the overall demographic. So simply put, if we don't get enough young people, you know, it's, it tends to be easier To get um, older people than younger people to respond to polls. So, if we're supposed to have, you know, let's say 20% of the respondents, you know, under the age of 30 and we get 14%, then we will weight up the young people and weight down the older people. It's interesting that, you know, we're concerned not just with having a poll or a sample that is representative by demographics, but in today's world, We have to have people who are representative by their ideological stance as well. Because uh, over the last several years, we have found that people on the right side of the political ledger tend to be even uh, systematically less inclined to participate in public opinion polls. In part, um, we believe that's due to the label that's been affixed to, I guess it would have fixed to you, it would have fixed to me that being that the media is somehow fake and biased. So there's more of a hesitancy on the part of the people on the right end of the spectrum than on the left to participate in, in polls. So we've begun to wait by ideology as well, um, not just by race, ethnicity, age, education, and income as we've had in the past.
7: I know in the after the 2016 election, there was a lot of skepticism towards these polls because yeah, I predicted... Clinton would win and Trump ended up winning, I guess. What is your response to that? And I guess what changes were made, if any, to respond to this criticism? Well, I mean, that's a big question. There was
8: uh, the problem that existed in polling was in state polling, not national polling. The error that occurred in 2016 primarily was due to not taking into consideration sufficiently educational attainment in the sample. So that was one of the problems in 2016 the other was that there were the states in the great midwest the northern midwest michigan wisconsin to some degree pennsylvania were under poll and those states ended up being the crucial states that provided um, trump with a victory over clinton so there just wasn't a big enough sample
7: obviously two big scandals with former governor andrew cuomo the nursing home scandal and the sexual harassment accusations and then just James report, I guess, Could you talk about how Cuomo was affected in terms of like, polling wise, how that shifted as a result of those two scandals?
8: During, you know, the pandemic period, um, New Yorkers tended to feel as though Andrew Cuomo was doing a very good job addressing the pandemic. During the period of time when he was beholding his daily news conferences, he had a tremendous amount of public support. In fact, you know, he, his public support rose from where it had been prior to the pandemic. As things moved on and uh, the question about the manner in which he and his administration handled uh, moving patients into nursing homes initially and then subsequent to that, releasing data about what happened to those people, uh, that was one area where, you know, we'd ask a question, overall, do you th- how good of a job do you think Andrew Cuomo has done? managing new york through the pandemic and he would get you know very high numbers he'd get numbers around 60 65 percent that were approved but the one number that he would get that would be uh, highly negative would be his handling of nursing homes so that dragged on his his popularity fast forward to when the first allegations about sexual harassment came forward then again that threw his support you know moving negatively at first, New Yorkers were hesitant to say that they believed that he had committed sexual harassment. A small plurality initially believed it, um, but a large percentage of New Yorkers said, "I just don't know." You know, finally, when the uh, AG's report was released, and you know, virtually every single political figure in New York called for his resignation, his numbers, you know, just fell right. You know, through the bottom. But interestingly, at the same time, we said, well, looking back over the last 10 years, Andrew Cuomo was governor for a very long time. Um, looking back over the last 10 years, do you think Cuomo did an excellent, good, fair, or poor job as governor? And here, despite the fact that 67% said he should have resigned, we find that 50% say he did an excellent or good job as governor.
7: Moving on to Kathy Hochul, who's now the governor of New York, former lieutenant governor. And in terms of polling, it looks like she has the most positive reception, but a ton of people are undecided or I don't know. And I get that she's new, but how does that expect us to change over time? And where do you think that will break in terms of approving or disapproving of her? You
8: know, I think that Kathy Hochul was largely unknown. You know, the job of lieutenant governor of the state of New York has no specific job description. Kathy Hochul was an extremely active lieutenant governor. Uh, she probably went to more ribbon cuttings than either you or I could even imagine. But in terms of the general population of the state, she was not well known. Uh, and when we would occasionally poll Kathy Hochul while she was a lieutenant governor, the vast majority of New Yorkers said, I have no opinion. I don't know anything about her. So, you know, instantly she becomes uh, the governor. And, you know, at a time as we just were discussing, when the uh, voters of the state of New York were kind of of the mind of anybody but Cuomo. In terms of the reception that Hochul has been given, uh, the reception has been has been positive. People are willing to give her a chance. You know, they see her as more collaborative than was uh, than was Cuomo. They tend to feel as though she has sufficient experience. Uh, they're excited about there being the first woman governor of the state. She enters a period right now where almost instantly she's gonna be in competition for not just being elected governor, but to compete for the Democratic nomination for governor. When we ask people as things that stand now, would you vote to elect Kathy Hochul, prefer someone else, or that you don't know, only a third, 36% say, yeah, 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 I'm prepared to reelect Kathy Hochul as, uh, as governor. You know, so that leaves about a
7: third saying they want someone else, about a third saying, I don't know yet. I'll have to wait and see. I thank Don for taking the time to talk with me. This was just touching the surface as the world of polls is so large and there is so much data to organize and analyze. There should be a lot of polls coming out soon about the 2022 midterms, especially in regards to the governor's race. For WICB News, I'm Michael Memes.
0: Correspondent Beck Legato spoke to members of IC PRISM about what they think about Ithaca College being named one of Campus Pride's top colleges for the LGBTQ community.
9: Now a part of the quote, best of the best, Ithaca College, which has for a long time been notorious for accepting any and all persons who step on their campus, has received public verification of their standards for behavior and equal treatment of everyone a part of the LGBTQ community i'm beck legato and today i'll be talking with the president of one of our on-campus pride organizations better known as ic prism to learn more about the campus's reaction to being named one of the top lgbtq colleges for students to attend Campus Pride is an online not-for-profit organization designed to spread information and create support programs to encourage and teach colleges and universities how to be safer and more inclusive. Last month, they came out with an article that gave light to the quote best of the best colleges and universities for LGBTQ students. Shane Windmeyer, one of the Campus Pride's executive directors, spoke on this article saying that, quote, Upper-level administrators are now understanding how LGBTQ friendliness is key to the academic success of students and the future institutional success of the campus. Campus Pride scored more than 435 campuses using their Campus Pride Index, which is known for featuring LGBTQ plus student opportunities and highlighting positive work done in their higher education. This index is an online tool that allows students and families to search through a culminated database of LGBTQ friendly campuses across the country. One of 30 colleges on this list, Ithaca College was judged on a five point scale for three different categories, which were Inclusive Policies, Program, and Practice. IC scored a 5 out of 5 in each field, giving it a total Campus Pride Index of 5 stars. On the Campus Pride Index database, it details that Ithaca College offers a supportive environment for LGBTQ people and includes campus-wide themed educational programs as well as social events. It continues including quotes from anonymous members of the LGBTQ community in Ithaca. One particular female was quoted saying, I am who I am today because of the love and support I found from staff, faculty, and my fellow students on campus. Ithaca College released an article about this achievement, quoting Luca Maurer, the director of the Center for LGBTQ Education, to say, quote, At Ithaca College, we continue to address barriers to full inclusion of LGBTQ students, and develop strategies to continue learning, performance, and research environments where LGBTQ students are welcomed, valued, and affirmed, not only accepted, but expected as integral, necessary, essential members of our on-campus community. talk more about the decision of Campus Pride. I spoke with Abby Haber, a senior Ithaca College student who is the president of IC Prism, which is an on-campus pride organization that's mission statement is to make it a safe space for people of the LGBTQIA+ community and allies and providing social and community activities for anyone on campus. We started out talking about what IC Prism is and what they provide for LGBTQ+ students across campus.
10: So we are one of Ithaca's LGBT student-run organizations. We are mostly a social group. So we have movie nights and game nights and just are generally a relaxed space for uh, Ithaca's LGBT student population to hang out and get to know each other. I, uh, I organize our events. I sort of, I, the rest of my e-board is incredibly helpful and they're a wonderful asset to my club, but I will come up with meeting ideas, like schedule things, like all of the, the boring admin parts, <laughs> and then I let the rest of my e-board help out with the fun stuff.
9: Abby continued to talk about the importance of the club on campus for her in
1: particular.
10: I mean, personally, that is where I met literally my closest friends on campus. Like, it is... It's such, like, I really wanted, like, to preserve that energy. Like, I went to the first prison meeting that happened my freshman year, and I have barely missed one since. Like, it's just a really important, like, environment for me, Mm -hmm. like, having that, like, that queer space where it's just, I know I can be myself around these people, and i can relax and have a nice time.
9: This idea of a safe space became a large factor of our conversation, and when I asked about the campus treatment of LGBT students and the ranking, Haber immediately agreed with the ranking.
10: Like, I know um, that it got ranked in the top fifty. I completely agree. I was like, like, I resoundingly agree. Like, Tompkins County has one of the highest populations of LGBTQ identifying adults, and it is definitely, like, Reflected in the school's population as well. Like I think um, there was a survey that went around my sophomore year of that of the class of twenty twenty one of how many of them are LGBT identified, and it's like thirty percent. Like, which is crazy high compared to like the national average or whatever. Um, So it it definitely is, and it comes with the environment. So I think it's like a Self-fulfilling prophecy, like there are queer people, so it gets a reputation for being good for queer people, so more queer people come, and it's like a this incredible, like, uplifting cycle. I mean, I don't know if that's true, but it's it's what it feels like because I knew it was super LGBT positive because I knew LGBT would be welcome. So it's just that, like, you know, it's okay for you to go there. So more than them.
9: She continued to speak on the staff and their treatment of the LGBTQ plus students. When asked about what the staff's treatment is of her in her four years here,
10: I think it's a case by case basis. Honestly, like I am in a queer studies class now. I took a queer literature class um, last. Last year, whenever it was, uh, spring of 2020, when we first went online, I was in queer literature. So there are some professors who are super queer positive, but there are others where it's not that they're not queer positive, it's just that it's not as forward.
9: And they're not as well educated.
10: Not that they're not as well educated, well, maybe a little bit. Like, none of them are malintended from what I have experienced. But some of them are a little less like queer knowledgeable. Yeah. Like I have, I have not had like a negative experience queer related in my entire time.
9: We continued to talk about the ranking of Ithaca College, and Haber spoke on how she learned about the ranking and talked about the LGBT Center on campus. She also mentioned Luca Maurer, who was mentioned earlier and is in charge of the Center on campus.
10: And it ties into, like, the 20th anniversary of the LGBT Center on campus. Actually. Yes, it's actually this year. I learned that recently. Oh my gosh. Luca mentioned it that the 2021 2022 school year is the 20th anniversary of the LGBT Resource Center. That's amazing. So I thought that was like a really cool. So it's it's a place on campus for, uh, for, that has resources for LGBT students. Um, Luca Maurer is the uh, guy who runs it. He's excellent. Uh, just It's just a great. We, they moved it recently. It was in caps, but they moved it to Towers Concourse. So, like in that hallway, in the, that connects east and west tower. And I checked it out recently. I don't know if it's fully open yet, but I went in there to be nosy. <laughs> um, and it it's like major upgrades, and I definitely uh, recommend it as a resource.
9: Abby, to finish up our conversation, talked again about her position and really what she has been able to do with her platform, especially following the year-long quarantine for students on campus.
10: I am empowered to have those conversations with people in prison because there's freshmen and sophomores who I'm sure have been fully inside for a year and a half and haven't had a queer community in a long time, if at all. So I really appreciate having that platform sort of. I mean it's not really a platform. Literally, yesterday we spent an hour and a half playing Jackbox games,
9: but I'm able to like build that community for people who haven't really had it. Ithaca for a long time has made sure to sustain an accepting community for people to feel comfortable in expressing themselves for who they are. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out at news at WICB.org, and we will try to respond as soon as possible. As always, for WICB News, I'm Bec Legato.
0: And that's all for this edition of Ithaca Now. You can listen to all of our stories on WICB.org, and if you'd like to listen to past shows, follow WICB on SoundCloud and subscribe to Ithaca Now to hear the show anywhere, anytime. Also subscribe to The Latest to hear our daily newscast every weekday. Just search WICB News Presents on your favorite podcast app. For more updates throughout the week, follow WICB News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This show would not happen without the support and assistance from Manager of Television and Radio Operations Jeremy Menard, WICB Station Manager Connor Hibbert, and Programming Director Lou Barron. Thank you. Ithaca Now is produced by myself, with assistance from News Managing Director Jordan Broking, News Production Director Beck Legado, and Social Media Coordinator Emma Kirsting. All of the music from our show's intro and outro comes from Dr. Dundas of Louisville, Kentucky. Have any feedback, story ideas? Just want to say hi? Feel free to reach out by emailing news at wicb.org. I'm Madri Sate and thank you for listening to Ithaca Now on WICB.